following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Not uh, too awfully long ago, um, I've been doing a lot of study and a lot of um, uh, a lot of reading in in differing areas, and something that continually was brought to my attention was uh, something that was kind of I don't know that I'd necessarily say new, but the fresh approach to it was very um, uh, heavy. And it seemed like everywhere I turned, I kept getting these reminders and kept getting these statements. And uh, uh, we went to, uh, a group of us went to uh, the Basics Conference. Uh, it's a uh, preachers and church leaders conference. And, and while there, two of the speakers uh, hit on this exact same thing. And one of them even read from a quote that I'm getting ready to read you. And uh, it was one of those... Um, it was one of those moments where uh, uh, it, you just kind of wanted to shout in the middle of the in the middle of the group. Okay, I heard. <laughs> you know, it was kind of one of those moments. And uh, I was reading in some of Spurgeon's letters, lectures to his uh, students, and in talking about public prayer, he made this statement. I am not able to see any reason for depriving me of the holiest, sweetest, and most profitable exercise which my Lord has allotted me. If I have my choice, I will sooner yield up the sermon than the prayer. And this is something that hit. And as I read through some of what he was saying, he he gave a little bit of an understanding of how we ought to approach prayer as a pastor in the church service. And my heart was pricked. <laughs> and he even made this statement. And he was talking to his students. He said, keep it no more than 10 minutes. Most of our prayers barely Cross the cusp of 60 seconds. And he said, keep it no more than 10 minutes. And I came face to face with the reality that perhaps my heart in prayer had not quite been right. I put a lot of work into sermon prep. Most of you that know me know I'm a nerd and I enjoy my time in the study and I open up my books, my old musty books, and and I can lose myself very quickly. The average message takes approximately 10 hours to put together for me, and, and I enjoy that. 
but I was faced with the question, do you spend as much time in prayer for the message? And so I wanted to take an opportunity with you, and I just want to spend a little bit of time doing exactly that as your pastor loving you enough to pray for you better. And so I wanted to bring a few things before we get into the message. I wanted to bring a few things to your attention and, and uh, maybe things that you already know, maybe things that you don't know, uh, but just to spend a little bit of time bathing these things in serious, heartfelt prayer. Uh, the uh, bulletin that gets emailed out and all the different announcements and everything contain the majority of these. You know, we have our church and church family and our church leadership. Don't, don't, please don't forget to pray for your deacons. And don't forget to pray for their wives. Okay. Uh, pray for the missionaries and our stateside churches around. Uh, Pray for our nation, its falling standards and morality, our government and elected officials. And for taking a stand in the workplace, I know that's difficult. I've, I've not, I, didn't, I wasn't born a preacher, so I understand uh, going to work, and I understand uh, trying to take a stand for what's right. Everything that's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, continue to lift up very seriously Dr. Desai's health. And Sister Lynn's sister as well. Uh, Brenda Shelby and her health and welfare and, and Barb with her pain. Let's uh, praise the Lord. Uh, Jason and Stella's recent additions to their family. Be uh, praying for them and uh, be praying for Stella. Uh, be praying for Jason as they raise these children. A uh, An excited... Uh, welcome addition, uh, Joel and Sarah, it's good to see you back, and their new son, Evan Asher, and uh, be praying for them, thanking God for that new life. A lot of different things going on around our church, um, from the need of more Sunday school teachers, different fellowships going on, um, different events, praising the Lord for the uh, time that we were able to have during Touch a Truck upcoming conference. Uh, be praying for your church secretary as she's learning me. That's a difficult thing to learn. Um, uh, the different things that are taking place, and uh, be praying for the workers that are currently working. Uh, the uh, kids CPR prayer group on ten at ten o'clock, and the kids classes. Uh, so be lifting these things up. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer together, and uh, you and your hearts uh, be uh, asking God for wisdom and help as I pray aloud. Our gracious God and our Savior, when, when I come to a situation like this, sometimes, Father, I, I feel so inept. I know how needy we are. I think of Sister Sonia and how she, uh, she was stung several times, had to go to the urgent care and get steroids and everything. I just pray, Lord, that you would give her a quick, speedy recovery there. Father, I, I think of Dr. Desai as he's at home. I thank, Father, his, his dear wife as she's staying beside him through all of this. Father, that you would strengthen him in the inner man. 
that you would draw her close to your heart during this time, Father. Think of my own grandmother and my father at home. Father, that you would just continue to give grace where grace is needed. Father, for all the different uh, additions that we've been able to see recently, from adoptions to new births, Father, for new family members that joined our church, God in heaven, that you would just do something in our lives to be a benefit to them, to help them, to help be a a disciple or to them, to help uh, them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, there's a lot of different health issues and different situations around the world. We think of the flood victims down in Kentucky and West Virginia and abroad. And Father, we know, Lord, that you knew those days were coming long before they ever approached. So, Father, what I'm asking is that you would just continue to put a spotlight on your grace through it all. Father, for the upcoming events of our church, that we would approach these not just as one more addition to the calendar, but, Father, that we would approach them prayerfully, hungering, for you to do a mighty work, not just in our community, but in our own heart. Father, help us to get things right at, at home so that we can be effective in reaching out to this world. God, I thank you for the Missions Cafe and the way it has brought in uh, extra funding to aid your gospel going around this world. I pray, Father, that you would just continue to put your blessing upon its uh, efforts there, Father, and Brother Jeff and Sister Angie, and as they uh, put their heart into this ministry, I pray for them as well, Father. God, for your deacons, for your secretaries, the crew that comes in and cleans this place tirelessly, sometimes thanklessly. God, that you would encourage their hearts this morning for the children in the other rooms, that, God, you would do a mighty work in their teachers, that you would help them to communicate effectively and rightly, thus saith the Lord, that they would see not just a bunch of rules and regulations, but that they would be uh, wooed unto a relationship with you. Now, Father, we're getting ready to open up your book. We're getting ready to read from your word. Father, I lack wisdom. I lack unction and ability. Times, Father, I question whether or not you knew what you were doing when you called me to this position. So, Father, I need something that only you can do and only you can perform. I need you to speak through me. I need you to open my heart and open my mind That God in heaven, as I would preach, that Lord, it would not simply be things that I have thought or things that I believe, but Father, I would be able to to proclaim as of the oracle of God. Father, that you would speak to hearts this morning that, Father, I'd be foolish to think that every single person is born again by the Spirit of God. So, Father, I ask you that you would save some this morning. That, Father, you would convert that you would break the hearts that are stony, cold and callous. 
Father, the ones that have hardened their heart towards your gospel, I pray that you would soften it this morning. Father, for those of us who claim to be born again by the Spirit of God, yet we've been shuffling our feet. We've made uh, the practice of worship about us and what we desire and what we prefer as opposed to what the holy God deserves. I pray, Lord, that you would call us into repentance this morning. Father, move in our midst, we pray. Not because we deserve anything, but Father, because your Son deserves the reward for his suffering. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Joel, chapter number 1. and Joel, chapter number 1, and I, I, I must confess the difficulty with which I had uh, come to... Uh, to this message, coming to this message, uh, Joel has written it, um, and within the pages of his writing here are some rich and uh, uh, pointed statements. There are some statements that you know, make you scratch your head, uh, but also some of the statements that uh, that appear dry. And if we're not cautious when we read. A book such as this, we can very quickly just gloss over some of the different things and think, well, that's just uh, a little bit of embellishment of the point that he's trying to make. But I personally believe that every single word, all Scripture, when Jesus says not a jot nor a tittle will pass away, then I, I, I have to believe that also each individual statement, each individual word that the Word of God presents to us is of value. And so we ought not ever just read through with a glossing approach to Scripture. And so as we come to this portion here, at first sight it almost appears to be a lament um, of the, of the charter members of Greenpeace. <laughs> but there's a little bit more to it than that. So stand with me, if you would, please, as we read the Word of God out of respect to His Word and nothing else. Look at verse 13 with me, if you would, please. It says, Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar... Come, lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God, for the meat offering and drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly together, uh, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand and as a destruction uh, from the Almighty shall it come. Is not the meat cut off before your, before our eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seed is rotten under, the, under their clods. The garners are laid desolate. The barns are broken down, for the corn is withered. How do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry. 
where the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word to our hearts and then our lives to its application. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Uh, as I said, there, there are portions of this that uh, kind of comes off as like a, a, a member of PETA, you know, getting upset and making sure that we know what's taking place. You know, we, we see corn withered, fruit trees languish, cows are groaning. Um, some of the cows, it says they're confused. <laughs> Never seen a confused cow, but I guess there are times where cows get confused as well. Didn't know they got perplexed. Uh, have you ever had a perplexed cow? Perhaps Rich can enlighten us later on on uh, the perplexities of cows. Uh, don't forget about those poor sheep. We see the sheep in there as well. It says that they uh, are, are too, are too. I guess it lets us know that they're too stupid to be perplexed, and they just moan and groan. And it says as the, uh, the beasts of the field, they're crying. It's almost like a... PETA commercial or an SCPA commercial, and you got that poor crying dog sitting there, and you see the, the sad puppy dog eyes looking at you. It's almost the, the visual that you're given by, uh, by uh, uh, Joel here. A quick glance reveals, though, that the devastation was far-reaching, and Joel makes, um, Joel makes it very clear that there are plenty of reasons to repent and to turn to God. Now, I wanted to look this morning at a very uh, a pointed statement of proper motivation in regards to repentance. Now, at first thought, you might think, well, it's, it's never an improper thing to repent. We should always have a desire to repent, and, and I understand that we should. But there is a proper motivation for true biblical repentance, now, if we remember from the last time we were together, we looked at, uh, at the warnings from God, and these warnings are not indicative of a mean, quick-to-punish kind of God, but these warnings are actually evidence of a long-suffering, patient, merciful, gracious God. That's a beautiful thing when we look at it and we truly understand. You know, so often we see the judgment that comes down from God. We see the, uh, the punishment that God's children uh, have to endure, and we think to ourselves, oh, he just couldn't wait to deal that out. No, 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 that's not the case. He did wait. Long times he waited. If you really want to kind of think about it, a lot of theologians uh, equate the... Um, the 70 years of captivity because they did not observe the, the Sabbath year during that period uh, from the time uh, Saul became king to the Babylonian captivity. That was 490 years, and finally God said, I'm getting my seventh year. You divide seven into 400 and 490, you end up with 70 years. I think God was patient 490 years of them saying no to God, he was patient. We cannot challenge the patience of God. But I want us to take a look at this because we must have a proper view of God. 
because only when we have a proper view of God will we see how it all makes sense. And until then, until we have this proper view of God, we will always struggle with the things that we, quote unquote, don't like in Scripture. When I have an issue, I don't like that there. And I'm not talking about whether I enjoy doing it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't enjoy doing. You know, when, it, when the Bible says that we're supposed to love our enemies, that's not something that is enjoyable, right? That's, that's something that we look at going, really? Uh-uh. I'm talking about the things that we disagree with. We think that God was wrong, maybe. Well, that's not right. It's because we haven't gotten a proper view of God. And so let's take a look at what we have here. Look at, drop down to the end there, verse 19 and 20. Notice what he says. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned all the trees of the field. The beasts of the field cry also unto thee, for the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness." Joel turns here in verses 19 and 20 to God. Notice what he says at the very beginning. He says, O Lord, to thee will I cry. He turns to God. Not just in a passing sense, but with a passionate plea. And he's seeking God, and he's seeking the face of God. Now, while there is poetic nature in Joel's description of what's taking place, and you can see a lot of Hebrew poetry in the way that, uh, that he goes about uh, the explanation of the beasts and the cows and the, uh, the fields and the crops and the trees, and he goes through all this, there is a poetic nature. There's also a truth that is trying to be stated. As stated before, you remember the last, one of the last times we were together, as stated before, this plague hit right in the midst of, of, of seemingly endless prosperity. For many years, Judah had everything going right for them. They had all the money that they needed. They had all the, uh, uh, the, uh, the wealth, the authority. Everything was going wonderful, for, wonderful with them. They had seen abundance and seemingly overnight a drought, a famine, pestilence, locust plague came and devoured everything. It was seemingly overnight that the place became desolate. Now, this ought to be a reminder to us. This ought to be something that wakes each and every one of us up. Just as Joel was trying to get the attention of his people, he was trying to let them know that the tangible things of this world are easily lost, and we must learn to cling to what cannot be destroyed. We've got to learn to cling to these things. In Matthew chapter 6, we see where it says, uh, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and uh, rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We sang about it just a moment ago. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. There's nothing that you can, no commodity uh, better than the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Those are the things that we want to treasure. Those are the things that we want to lay up store for ourselves. Those are the things. And when we take that grace and that mercy and we dispense it to fellow mankind, we take it out there and we uh, uh, proclaim it to this lost and dying world and help them too to see the grace and the mercy of God. The the tangible things will be destroyed. That fancy car, that fancy house, that nice uh, nice sofa, that 
big, huge TV. It's all going to die and go away. It's going to rot. It's going to rust. But you never lose him. You never lose that relationship that you have with God. You can never lose that beautiful, uh, that beautiful time and that beautiful connection that you have with Jesus Christ. I want you to look at a couple other things with me here. The next thing to note is the imagery given by the animals. You see there in verse 20, it says, The beasts of the field cry also unto thee. The word for cry is the Hebrew word arag. It's an interesting word. It's actually uh, the similar etymology for an Ethiopic word, araga. You're thinking, I don't speak Ethiopian. That makes no difference to me. What does arag mean? I'm glad you asked. It means to ascend. It means the, the only other use that is, uh, is found is actually in Psalm chapter 42. Flip over to Psalm 42 with me. Look at Psalm 42, and I want you to see the only other use of this word, this Hebrew word in the Old Testament Scriptures is found right here in Psalm 42, verse 1. As the heart, or the deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God beautiful word when you really get down to the brass tacks of what it's saying. It means to ascend or gives the idea of reaching up with longing and strong desire and impulse. The beasts of the field were doing what the people should have been doing. The beasts of the field knew to look up to heaven. The beasts of the field knew to look to their God. The beasts of the field recognized what the people who have the intelligence and the God-given intelligence that they should have been able to figure out could not figure out. The beasts longed for God to satisfy, cried to him for help. And Joel wanted them to see how their sin had affected every part of the nation. Understand this. Physical problems of life are meant to get our attention onto the spiritual needs. So often we see the physical and we stop there. Think about this for just a moment. When you go to bed at night, do you see the humility that, it, that must be involved there? You lay your, your head on the pillow at night. You have to acknowledge something. I need rest. I can't continue. And I put myself in the care of the only one who never needs a nap. Physical things in this life are there for the purpose of bringing me to, a, to an understanding of how much I must rely on him. What I need is him. The spiritual is, is given attention because of the physical. But so often we just see the physical, and that's where we rest. That's where we stay. 
Even back in verse 18 of Joel chapter number 1, you can go back to verse 18 and see, how do the beasts groan? The herds of cattle are perplexed. Why are the cows perplexed? Because they're used to walking out in the field, they bend down, they eat, they go back to bed. And if there's no food there, they walk to the other side. They eat, they go back to bed. If there's no food there, they go somewhere else. They're used to food always being around, and now they're coming out going, what do we do now? And then it goes into the sheep. There in verse 18, it says, Yea, the flocks of sheep are made desolate. When cows can't find something to eat, sheep can. Because they go after the even smaller things. The cows like to pick up the bigger stuff. The sheep go after the smaller things. And even the sheep couldn't find anything. The, the idea of this was for us to, uh, to, for them to be able to see that there was a need. It was so desolate. Wake up. That's what he was trying to say. We've got a little dog, an ankle biter. She doesn't really bite ankles. She, she'll sniff you to death. She, she, she's a lovingest little dog, and she goes crazy. She doesn't wag a tail. She, her whole backside goes, I, I, some, of, some of y'all, don't do that, preacher. Don't do that. We, we don't dance, right? <laughs> Understand this. My dog goes to a basket. We've got a basket of toys for our dog. Our kids don't have toy baskets. I don't have a toy basket, but our dog has a toy basket, and she'll walk right over to the toy basket, and she'll look out of the corner of her eyes at us while facing the toy basket and just bark. And everybody in the house knows what that means. She has a little rubber bone that I'll take, and I'll put peanut butter in, and she wants her peanut butter bone. Well, not too long ago, guess what? We ran out of peanut butter. And she's looking at me and doing the corner of the eye thing and the little bark. Uh, we don't have any peanut butter, Phoebe. She doesn't understand that. She just looks at me again, bark. I'll go put something in it. So I go over, I get her bone, I go over to the refrigerator and I can't remember, I think I got cheese or something. I put stuffed some stuff in there and I take it over and she eats it for just a minute and then she looks at me again, bark. That's not what you give me. Where's the peanut butter, man? This is not. She was perplexed. Wait a minute. Where's the good stuff? Why is that not here? I don't understand. You see, here's where we need to get things right. Again, focusing on the minutiae, the things that are tangible. The book right before this, is the book of Hosea. If you go back to Hosea chapter 7, Hosea had a similar issue, and Joel was worried about what Hosea is getting ready to say. I want you to notice this. Hosea chapter 7, look at verse 14. And they have not cried unto me with their heart. When they howled upon their beds, they assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. Joel's trying to get the people of Judah's attention in the same way that Hosea was trying to get the people of Israel's attention here. 
the people of Judah were not turning to God for his sake. They were only wanting more wine and more grain. They were focused on the physical, the tangible. Joel's concern was that they would only repent in order to regain the physical blessings of God. Now, remember I told you at the beginning of this that there's proper motivation for repentance and there's an improper motivation for repentance. Here's an improper motivation. Only turning back to God for what they're missing. Well, I don't have this going right in my life. Maybe I need to turn back to God. I don't have this in my life the way I think it should be. Maybe I need to turn back to God. I'm not making an, I, I got passed over for that raise. I got passed over for that promotion. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not as successful in my, uh, in my portfolio or whatever it may be. Maybe I need to turn back to God. And the only reason that I'm honestly turning back to God, if I really examine the situation, the only reason I'm turning back to God, the only reason for this repentance in my life is because I want the things that I think I'm missing out on. Joel wants him to, hey, wait a minute. That's not the way we ought to be. Well, how do you know that's what he's trying to say, Pastor? I'm glad you asked that. You see, when we have experienced these physical problems, we got to quit running to what's going to satisfy that physical want. And it's kind of like we, we joke. You go out to eat, you go to the fast food restaurant, right? You go through at uh, Burger King. I'll take the quadruple Whopper with extra cheese. Go ahead and put onion rings on that. A supersized fry and a Diet Coke. I don't think it's going to help, huh? Diet Coke. And then we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, buddy, your cholesterol's high. You got a pill for that? Right? I just soon take the pill because I'm not giving up the quadruple Whopper with extra cheese, the onion rings, the extra fries, and my Diet Coke. I can tell you that right now. You see, we got to learn to address the actual issue and quit looking at the surface things. What was the bigger issue? Look at verse 9. The meat offering and the drink offering is cut off from the house of the Lord. Look at verse 13. Go to the second half of verse 13. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Look at verse 16. Is not the meat cut off before your eyes? Yea, joy and gladness from the house of our God. You know know what the big issue was? It wasn't that the animals couldn't find food. It wasn't that there was drought. It wasn't that the fruit trees were suffering. It wasn't that the corn was withering. It was that the offerings of God and the worship of a thrice holy God had come to a stop. 
well, we can't go to the church and do these things now. I, I, I need that extra, I, I, I need the extra time in the fields. I got to work more. I got to do this. I got to do that because I, I got to take care of me, right? If I don't take care of me, who's going to? God, who took care of you last night while you had your eyes closed, saw on logs, and your wife was elbowing you. God, who's going to take care of you tonight when you go to sleep? God, you got to wake up. The bigger issue was not that the food was low or the lack of water. Worst was that all of God's worship had been affected. It's a problem. This is reminiscent to me if you keep your hand here or put a card or something and go to John chapter 4. John chapter number 4. Look at John chapter 4. And if you want to read this later on, you can read the entire uh, story. But this is where the Samaritan woman at the well and Jesus encounters her and has a good conversation with her. Look at verse 13. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. (laughs) I love this passage. You see, here he is talking with a woman at a well about getting physical water, and he turns it to the spiritual And he says to her, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. Similar to what's going on over here, we've got to realize that the tangible things, the physical things of life, they're going to be repeated. Guess what? You have a problem today, it ain't the only one you're ever going to have. Have you had struggles recently? Have you had some, maybe some financial woes? I promise you, they're not over. You get through this one, you're going to come to another one eventually. Tomorrow's another day, and the problems of tomorrow, Jesus said, are sufficient for that day. But here's the promise. You get through these things with the relationship and the direction of pursuing Him, everything's going to be all right. That doesn't mean that the problems are never going to come. But if we only turn to God to fix the problems, then the next day when we have stopped pursuing the Lord, we're going to run into another problem. And guess what? We need another drink. And we need another drink. And then we need another drink. I want that promotion. I get that promotion. Guess what? Later on, I'm going to need another drink. I want that that raise. I get that raise. Guess what? Later on, I'm going to want another drink. But when you drink of the water that Jesus provides, the everlasting water, the true water, the only water that can quench, never thirst again. He says, get your eyes off the physical. Put it on the spiritual. 
See, many are wanting a drink that can satisfy their current thirst, but Jesus offers what can only satisfy for eternity. So, I was looking at how to come to the conclusion of this, and I'll be honest with you, it gave me turmoil. So often the motivation of turning back to God is wrong, which is why many times it fails. You know how it is. You start moving toward God and everything is going great, and then all of a sudden you start to backslide a little bit, right? And then you turn back to God, and then you start to backslide. It's because our motivation may not be quite right. I'm reminded of David and Saul. And if you were to look at 1 Samuel 13, 14, and compare that with Psalm 84, you'll see what I'm talking about, where Samuel had made Saul king, but then God rejected Saul and preferred David. And why was that? Because God made this statement. He said, David is a man after my own And when we hear this statement, we usually think, okay, and this is something that over the past couple weeks, it it came to light to me, and maybe the rest of you are more spiritual and more learned than I am, but I needed this aha moment. It was like like someone put a spotlight on me over the past couple weeks here on something. Usually when we see that, David is a man after God's own heart, our mind says, okay, that means that David was a man that had a heart like God. It's not what it's saying. Don't. Miss that. After means to pursue. It means David, unlike Saul, pursued the heart of God. That's why when David fell, he repented. When Saul fell, he cried and complained. When David messed up, he turned back to God. When Saul messed up, he dug his heels in deeper and got mad at God. So just like Saul, there are many people today, just like they were in Joel's day, fighting the same battle that we fight. So the question may be, how do I know which focus I have? Am I pursuing the heart of God or am I pursuing my own heart? Do I have the heart like David or do I have a heart like Saul? Let's ask just a few questions of this. First, do you worship in order to receive a blessing? Someone says, why do you go to church? Oh, because I get a blessing. Is your blessing the reason? I want you to understand something. Blessings are the result of true, heartfelt worship, not manipulation. And a lot of people today, they're trying to manipulate God by showing up, raising a holy hand so that they can get what they want, and then they go home. That's not worship. That's not pursuing the heart of God. Ask yourself this question, what would happen if I did not come? What would happen if I did not sing? You ever go home and wonder, well, 
I didn't really get anything out of church today, so it really wasn't worth going. Or maybe got an improper motivation. Number two, do you obey because you have to? Mm. Or do you honestly desire to please him? I only tithe when I feel like it. I only read my Bible when it's convenient. But I read it. But I do it. Careful. Careful. How about this one? Do you worship when it's convenient? Do you worship when it's convenient? Well, I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like reading my Bible today. I don't feel like spending time in prayer today. You know, I, I you know, I, I know I probably need to quit listening to talk radio because every time I listen to talk radio, my blood pressure goes up. But I'd rather listen to talk radio than God's music. Ooh, we need to be careful. Listen, this is not the only place to worship God. On your way to work tomorrow, try worshiping God. When you get up in the morning, before you turn on Fox or CNN or whatever, try worshiping God. Worship is attention that is given to something that is worthy of it. Catch this, my desire to worship is determined by my view of his worth. That's what worship means. Now, number four, do you see trouble only as punishment? You only see it as punishment. Now, granted, there are times (laughs) where God does does have to punish But do you view trouble maybe as God trying to get your attention? Maybe instead of just wiping you out, he allowed trouble to come your way. That's grace and mercy. If I only see it as punishment, I'm just going to repent so that I can get out of the trouble. It's kind of like the kid who says, sorry, doesn't really mean it. They just want to get out of trouble. Let's look at the other part of this. What do I do if my focus is wrong? Well, number one, start by admitting your selfish motivation. Start there. Start by admitting your selfish We can all be so self-motivated. Quit denying it. Just stop. Stop it. Right? Stop it. Selfishness can be revealed differently in everyone. Things I struggle with is not going to be necessarily the thing you struggle with. Perhaps holding back what belongs to God. Perhaps my attendance, my study time, my entertainment. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to watch that. This is what I want and what I like instead. A lot of eyes in that. Number two, make God's worship the priority. Listen, once selfishness is identified, turn from your wants 
to what brings him glory and start to practice that. Whatever you don't want to do, but know God wants you to do it, why not? Why not? Start to make his worship a priority. Number three, change how you think regarding worship. I've had people ask me, is it really that big of a deal? Yes. Yes. Is the worship of a thrice holy God really that big of a deal? Yes. This is the creator of the universe, the one who sustains us, who spoke us into existence. Is his worship a big deal? Yes. He loved us to the point where he put up with our stupidity. And while we were yet sinners, sent his son, his only begotten son, to live amongst us. He can't stand to be in the presence of sin, yet he dwelt among sinful man. Stretched out his arms and died. Yes, his worship is a big deal. And how dare we not take it so? Change your thinking regarding worship. Why is it okay for us to go to a two-hour movie or a three-hour movie, watch three overtimes and extra innings at a baseball game, but God forbid the preacher preach more than 10 minutes? Talking about God. Number four, do the hard work of examining where your focus has been. Hard work. It's difficult. It's time for us to honestly do it. Our focus is typically the center of our excuse, too. We excuse ourselves from doing what God wants us to do. That lets you know pretty quick where your focus is. What's the excuse? Proper motivation for repentance. (laughs) Why do I turn back? This is not just talking about repentance and salvation. This is talking about repentance as the daily repentant life of a believer. When I find myself going the wrong direction, I turn back to God. Why? Not because my salary dipped, not because I got sick, not because of uh, my, uh, I can't sell my house or because my car broke down or because I'm having a relational problem of some sort. That's not the reason I turn back to God. I turn back to God because my worship has not been on him. My worship has been on that relationship, that job, that financial situation. Those are the problems and God's saying, hey, whoa, I'm over here. Worship is over here. I'm worthy of that attention, not the job. I'm worthy of that attention, not your checking account. I'm worthy of that attention, not the car. I'm worthy of that attention, not your kids. I'm worthy of that attention, not that relationship with your spouse or your friends or whoever it is. I'm over here. Put the focus on me. That's what God's trying to say. I'm the only one that can satisfy. Not because he's selfish, but because he's right. 
I'm the only one. Hey, hey, that can't satisfy. This can. So at the end of it, I asked the question, basically, what could be a better reason for repentance? God's worship is the only reason. So let me end with this statement here. When your comfort is the focus, his worship will take a back seat. I can promise you this. When I'm focused on my comfort, the type of music I like, the Bible that I want, the the type of preaching that I prefer, the type of chairs that I want to have, the type of this, the type of that, this, the that, the this, the that. It's about my comfort and what I want. When that's the focus, his worship takes a back seat. But when his worship takes the focus, my comfort will take a back seat. I'm okay. It's all right if I don't get what I want as long as he gets the greater glory. I'm okay if I don't get that promotion next week. I'm okay if my kids don't think that I'm the best father in the world as long as he gets the glory. His worship. Most important. A lot of parents are worried about making their kids happy at the sake of his worship. A lot of drivers are worried about making their ears happy so that they can listen to whatever they want at the sake of his worship. A lot of people go into entertainment based on their tastes at the sake of his worship. A lot of people striving and losing character and having bad ethical practices at work because of what they want at the sake of his worship. What is it for you? It's time to get it right and start worshiping him. Father, as I'm face to face with reality, the way that you deserve every bit of my attention. I have to be honest and say I haven't given it to you. Father, I, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive my self-centered, self-motivated heart. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to Draw us ever closer to you. The only one who can satisfy. The only one who can quench our thirst. Father, this world offers many allurements. God, only your son is sufficient. So Lord, help us to recognize, to spot the issues that we have been so blindly and foolishly pursuing and help us to make your worship of utmost importance because you are alone worthy. We pray these things in your son's name, believing. Amen. 
have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.